Welcome to the Think Like a Champion podcast, the podcast where we reveal the mental strategies of elite performers so you can apply them to your own life and raise your game. I'm your co-host, Harry Wilson, and on this episode of Think Like a Champion, I'm joined by Michigan State head football coach Mel Tucker. Mel has been a coach for 25 years, winning a national championship while on staff at Alabama. He has turned around a Michigan State program and has recently swept Big Ten awards, winning 2021 Big Ten Coach of the Year, voted by his peers and the media. In this episode with Mel Tucker, we talk about communication in the modern era, perspective on pressure, leading and communicating with a variety of audiences and age ranges, minimizing negativity, and transformational leadership. All right, Coach Mel Tucker, thanks for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, Harry. I really appreciate you, brother. Yeah. So listen, you've coached the game for a long time, somewhere around 25 years, right? Has your communication with your players changed over the years or or have you kind of kept it the same? I think fundamentally uh, my communication style is, is pretty much remained the same. Uh, I like to over communicate. At the end of the day, the players and the staff, you know, everyone needs clear communication. Everyone needs to know where they stand. Everyone needs to know where I stand with them. And they want things to be explained. You know, the days of of coaches, the adage of, you know, my way or the highway or or do it just because I said so, <laughs> those days are long gone. Yeah. I mean, you actually have to explain to the players not only what you want them to do, but why you want them to do it and why it's important to do it a certain way. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, business leaders, they might be listening to this or kind of like, you know, knowing that they have these different almost tiers of, of audience that they're communicating with. How do you you know, for you, like boosters and donors and, and school presidents, provosts, dean, right? That's a whole different kind of conversation than potentially than, than players and coaches. How do sure. you how do you kind of show up as like almost kind of, of a chameleon in that way, you know, or how do you adjust uh, your messaging accordingly? I think the thing that helps me the most is just being a good listener, first and foremost, because when you listen, you get an opportunity to to understand where people are coming from, what's important to them. And then you can really meet them where they are. And it takes an element of, of empathy as well, just to put yourself in their shoes to understand the, the challenges that they may be facing and really um, and understand what they need from me. And, you know, being a head coach, um, I have to be very, very cognizant of what I actually say and who I say it to and, and the timing of it, um, because a statement from me or a declaration from me or a request from me, it has a ripple effect. And so I have to make sure that I'm clear or that that I'm not confusing uh, anyone or or sending mixed messages. In dealing with uh, the different constituents, I just think being authentic and being real, regardless of who the audience is, I think is important. At the end of the day, people have to know that they can trust what you're saying and they don't have to read between the lines and kind of what they see is what they get type of thing by listening to people and, and kind of understanding, you know, where they're coming from and being authentic and real with them. That really helps me just be consistent in my communication. And so I don't have to be concerned about who I'm talking to necessarily just be real with them and, and just be myself. I mean, I think that one of those things you said in there is so critical, like the listening part, right? Whether whether you're a leader or an individual contributor, 
either way, interfacing with a client, a customer, a, you know, a teammate, that listening piece is, is so huge because it's hard, it's hard to be authentic when you haven't listened to a word somebody said, right. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I, and I think that you even mentioned empathy, right? So that's a really good segue because one of the challenges we're seeing today for business leaders, particularly in the COVID slash post COVID era is, is this struggle to balance empathy with a drive to results. You know, so, you know, as leaders, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're so used to just like banging the table on, you know, hitting goals, you know, meeting the number, winning the games, uh, winning the championships, the division, the conference, whatever it is. Right. Right. Um, but we forget about kind of the, the people right now. And it's always been a challenge. But I think in this kind of covid world where everything's changing so rapidly um, and everything's so uncertain, balancing that level of empathy and that drive to results has been really challenging. So it sounds like that you're probably seeing some of that. How are you? How are you dealing with that? Well, the, the empathy piece is 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 critically important, and you know you you have to you have to start with the assumption that everyone wants to win, that everyone has that inner drive to succeed and be the best. And if you start from there and you give you give people the benefit of the doubt, then I think that really helps and. So in our organization, whether they're players or they're, they're coaches or support staff, I first make sure that just fundamentally our goals and our values are aligned just right off the bat, just to be a part of the organization. And then once I know that we have that, then I have to be clear on what our goals are and make sure that everyone has a clear and defined role and communicate to everyone how we're going to measure our success. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, as a leader, you have to confront and demand from your people, you know, that they do things a certain way, that they get it right. And so I think people really understand and they get that because of the communication, because of the common goals. People don't take it personally when you have to make adjustments, when you have to make hard decisions, when you have to do those things. And also, as a leader, you have to be willing to invest time with people and, and, and coach them up, help them do their jobs, You know, make sure they have the resources to get their jobs done, make sure they have the time to get their jobs done. And then if you have that, then that breeds a, a great culture. That's right. And the culture, you know, really is, is everything. And when you have great culture and great communication and empathy and everyone has a drive and you can lay out a roadmap for everyone, uh, then um, the results actually take care of themselves. That's right. You know, it's, it's kind of like that servant leadership. That's what I feel like you were describing a little bit at the back end of that is like your role is to provide the resources, your role is to answer the questions, provide the level of transparency required, but just put people in the right position to succeed. Right. And just be that kind of that servant leader. Right. How do you go about it when inevitably there is someone who, who just for whatever reason isn't aligned. Right. And you, and you recognize it early. How much time do you spend with that individual to get them that to that alignment? Because a lot of times as leaders, we spend a lot of time with the folks that are maybe less productive, right? Yeah, I think that you have to own that as a leader. You have to be honest with yourself and, and not overlook it and not act like it's not there. It really just becomes uh, a matter of communication and, and just laying it out there saying, hey, listen, we're not aligned here and we have to move quickly and then just start listening. And start listening because what I've found is that when there's a lack of alignment, that person feels it too on their end. And they're not comfortable. They're not happy. They feel out of place. 
And so once you acknowledge it and you own it and you have a sit down and you can decide if it's something that can be fixed, if it's something that can be developed, or is it just not a good fit and, you know, we need to part ways. And I think where I've seen the the most mistakes or where you have anxiety and angst about things is when people don't communicate. You know, it's like an elephant in a room. You know there's an issue, but you don't talk about it. You don't acknowledge it. You don't own it. And it just lingers and it goes on and on and on and on. And it just kind of snowballs and doesn't get any better. So I think you just have to face it head on and deal with it with empathy and understanding that it's a good deal when both people are winning, when both sides are winning. When you can approach it that way, then I think you can get what you want. You've also had the, you know, the fortune of being around some legendary people, some legendary coaches. What do you feel like has been the most consistent trait of some of these best leaders? Wow, that's a tough one because uh, these great leaders, they're multidimensional. But if I would have to pick one thing, you know, I would say that it's just extremely hard workers, whether it's Barry Alvarez or Nick Saban or Jim Trussell or, or Romeo Cornell. Or, I mean, just extreme effort and determination to get the job done. They never seem to to ask you to do something that they haven't done or they're not willing to do. They're actually, you know, leading by example. And I think that's a common trait. I, I haven't been around a great leader or a great coach who was not just old school or hard worker. Now, listen, I want to ask you a little bit about pressure for a second, um, because I've experienced this in my career that sometimes as you get promoted, right, as you get paid more, as you matriculate, you know, to a higher level, <laughs> the pressure increases, right? It's so interesting because Trevor and I would always talk about, you know, Trevor Mawad and I would always talk about pressure being a privilege. And that's certainly one way to look at it. And and I do feel that way. But I'm not sure if I feel any of the external pressure. It's the internal pressure that is the beast, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's because there's no one externally that can put more pressure on me that I put on myself on a daily basis. And so I deal with pressure, so to speak, by working, by studying, by, um, you know, doing research. So I get myself to a place where I feel prepared. But it, it takes a lot to get to that point. And it's not about being comfortable because I don't ever feel comfortable. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable, and I think that's a good place to be. But being prepared gives me the peace of mind to know that I can go out and do my best. If I feel like I was prepared and I, w- and I was able to give my best effort, then I'm, I'm okay with that. And I'm always going to take inventory after the fact and evaluate how did I do. And right. I'm going to make the adjustments that I need to make. And I'm going to lean on people that I trust that are going to tell me the truth about some things and, and are going to help me stay on track and, and keep getting better. But the pressure is really intrinsic and it's personal and it's uh, it's a heavy burden, but I've learned how to deal with it. And it's um, it's actually a motivating factor for me. Yeah. Do you ever, speaking of pressure, do you ever, do you ever think about it in the, in the context of being a, a minority head coach in a power five school? I mean, there's not, <laughs> it's not a lot of you, of us, right? Right. But is that something that you think about? Is that something that is a motivator or a driver in how you go about leading your program 
how you go about reaching goals and thinking about making an impact and paving a way for people that come behind you? Yeah, I think about it every single day. I know that there have been coaches, black coaches before me that have helped pave the way and helped me get to where I am right now. And so I look back and look at those coaches as role models and then, you know, what did I take from them? And knowing that if I look at those coaches as role models, then I know that there's thousands of coaches across the country that are looking at me and they're pulling for me. They're rooting for me to do well, hoping that that's going to open up some opportunities for them. So hopefully at some point it becomes more mainstream. But I mean, I carry that burden. I don't ever feel like I can make a mistake, quite frankly. I don't ever feel like I feel like I have to be on top of my game all the time. And I don't feel like that I'm going to get a second chance. Just how I feel about it, which is motivating for me. And I have a high standard for myself, obviously. But I mean, I can't tell you how many texts and emails and voicemails I get from people just saying that they're pulling for me and thanking me for what I'm doing and telling me to stay strong and, and keep going. And, you know, I got a text the other day from a coach I'd heard from a long time says, hey, man, you, you know, you, you're giving guys out here hope. That's cool. That they can, you know, can reach to reach that level. And and I'll also hear from people that are not coaches. They're just African-Americans across the country that are just looking to see what we're doing here in East Lansing and are motivated by it. It gives them a sense of hope, a sense of pride. And uh, so I feel that every single day. And, you know, I just own it and I take on whatever responsibility that comes with that. I love it. And that's really, you started this whole conversation around pressure, around, you know, mentioning that, that quote, pressure is a privilege, right? Right. And, and I think that's like the definition of it, right? Is that feeling like in this particular case, and that, that part of the conversation around being a minority leader, that what you just said is really powerful, man, which is, you don't feel like you, you really can't mess up. You really don't have a, you know, your margin for error is, is smaller, right? And so right. that's pressure. That's pressure when like your margin for error is so thin that, you can't really make mistakes, or at least you feel like you can't really make mistakes. And right. But the privilege is that as you succeed, the road you're paving behind you, and also the fact that because you're in that role, because people believe in you, right? right. People have taken a chance on you. People, you've you've already you've put some of the building blocks in place. So so when you don't feel the pressure, you know it's almost like you know people stop believing in you. So that the more pressure, the better, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I kind of learned that term from from Trevor Moad. He had heard that from Billie Jean King. And I wanted to bring him up for a second because I remember back in 2020, um, you know, it was the heart of COVID. You had just gotten a, you just gotten to, to campus at Michigan State. I think you're, you know, you're about to embark on what we all thought was going to be a season. Right. And, you know, I think Trevor was supposed to talk to your team. Yep, right. Yep. And I don't know if you knew this at the time, but he was sick. Right. Yep. And um, you may have known this, but I wanted to ask you about Trevor because I know that he worked with your team at Michigan State. But. What were, you know, just for a second or two, what was kind of his influence on you and your organization at, at Michigan State? Yep. Well, um, I'll see if I can get this out. But, yeah, Trev had a tremendous impact on me and on my team here. There was a point a little over maybe a year ago where I asked the players about aspects of the program and I asked them about the speakers that we had. And every single one of them said that Trevor – he had a tremendous impact on them, and they loved what he said and how he said it. He introduced neutral thinking to me in 2015 at Alabama, and uh, that neutral thinking and 
taking the judgment out, taking the emotion out, going to the truth, going to the facts, and based upon what you know to be true, um, that really determines what you need to do next. We lean on that every single day, and um, I'm forever grateful for him, the time that he's invested in me and, and our team. Yeah. Well, I know he loved him some Mel Tucker, boy. He, he uh, But, you know, let's talk about that neutral thinking for a second, or at least our perspective on negativity. Like, during the season, you and your team have a bright spotlight on you at all times, right? Particularly before a big game. And, and, and when you lose, particularly the media coverage can be grueling, you know, especially in those big moments. What strategies do you build, particularly for your team, to help kind of build an immunity or, or at least a some armor around the negative press that's out there. All right. Well, we tell them uh, first and foremost that the voices inside of our building have to be louder than the voices outside of the building. No one knows more about what's going on inside the building than us, than the staff and the support staff and the, and the players. And so if we can capture their minds and garner their attention and keep it, then that gives us the best chance to kind of block out you know, some of the noise, whether it's positive or negative. And so uh, I think our players, I think they understand that. They understand that because, you know, we were picked. There was one publication that prior to preseason that picked us to be one of the five worst teams in America in football. Wow. And obviously we weren't that. I said, here, here's a prime example of, you know, the season hasn't started. We know that we have a good football team going into the season. And here is a publication that says we're one of the five worst teams in, in America. That just goes to show you that they don't know what's going on inside these walls. <laughs> you know, they, they right. have no idea. They don't know what we've done in, in the aspects of our – if they knew that, they wouldn't say that. So it's important to uh, to really be honest and upfront with the players. That's what we do. We talk about everything. We talk about everything and we evaluate everything and we're brutally honest with ourselves so that the players don't have to go anywhere else for information. So we don't let anyone else control our narrative. We control it internally. Like we evaluate what we're doing and we know how to evaluate why we won so we can be consciously competent. This is this is why we won or this is why we didn't win or we won However, here are the areas that where we weren't very good. And even though we won the game, the end does not justify the means. We need to fix these things. And so taking that approach, communicating with the players, being honest with the players, making sure that we have their attention and we give it to them straight, then that allows us to, uh, to handle success, handle wins. It allows us to handle adversity and losses and allows us to stay neutral and just keep going. You know, that's important. We have to keep going. And when you allow the outside negativity to get in or the, the noise, it really does not allow you to move forward. You get stuck. And that's one thing you cannot afford to do, especially during the season, because the next game is coming up fast. You cannot afford to get stuck. You can't live in the past. You have to continue to move forward. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think <laughs> I imagine that one, one thing that's challenging in any leadership role, but particularly in, in like performance type of ecosystem where it's, you know, you're playing a game, there's a scoreboard, there's however many 80,000 people on the stands and, you know, something happens bad, right? A turnover um, or you're down at halftime by 20, whatever it might be. <laughs> like, how do you, particularly you, right? Stay neutral <laughs> in those moments where, where like stuff's really hit the fan, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, 
That's such a that's such a great question because, <laughs> you know, I'm human, you know, and so you do have emotions. But what I do uh, has worked for me over the years is I visualize uh, situations. I visualize games. I watched continuous copies of games, you know, during the week. I watched TV copies. I watched press conferences. You know, I watched anything that I can get my hands on that's going to help me prepare for the game ahead of time. I'll see uh, a quarterback on tape from another team playing against the going against the team we're going to play that week. I, I, I'll see him throw an interception. I'll say, okay, now how am I going to react to that? If that happens in our game, how am I going to react? What am I going to say? You know, what's going to be my body language? And I just rehearse that and it go, I go over and over and over in my mind. And so what I actually do is I actually make decisions. I actually decide before the game starts. Therefore, the emotions, the, the, the ups and downs, the pendulum swinging back and forth in the game, you know, the momentum shifts and, and the crowd cheering, the crowd booing. All that stuff, it doesn't affect me as much because I've already decided before the game started how I'm going to react, how I'm going to handle it. And we prepare the team during the week for these moments. We prepare the team for the momentum swings. We talk about momentum swings. We talk about how we're going to handle it. And we talk about it in practice, you know, in, in the meetings. We try to make our practices and our meetings, we try to make them as pressure-packed as we can. We try to make our practices harder than the games. Interceptions happen in practice. Missed tackles happen in practice. Guys jump off sides in practice. And so how do we react to that in practice? It should be consistent with what we do in the game. So you take it from practice, you take it to the game, and you visualize and you make decisions ahead of time. And so when those things do happen, you've already dealt with it. It's just a matter of execution at that point. I love that because, you know, it's just no different. Your mental toughness is no different than your, you know, your physical toughness or your your skill set, like whether it be on the football field or the golf course or in sales or whatever it might be. It, it still requires a level of condition. Absolutely. You know, honestly, that's I feel like that's a foundation for transformational leadership. Right. Doing those types of things. Right. So that's not transactional. It's transformational, you know. And actually, Mel, as we wrap, that's kind of my last question for, for you to answer. What are one or two actionable items that you can leave with listeners today that they can implement to be more to be more of a transformational leader rather than a transactional leader. Yeah, I, I would say that you mentioned servant leadership earlier, and if you can really look at the individuals that you work with, that you know they work for you or work with you, if you can actually really care about them as people. And understand that they have goals and aspirations. They they have families. They you know they have mom. They have dad. They have a wife and kids or whatever. They you know they want to do well. They want to succeed. If you can try to help them and try to create an environment and a set of expectations that's going to help them reach their goals, give them the advice that they need, or maybe help them get better, help them change course to get them on track. If you can actually give a damn about the people that you work with and they work with you, I think that goes a long way to uh, having a healthy work environment, to having a great culture, you know, working as a team and not motivating people by fear, you know. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that leaders can do right now is empower people to do their jobs. You have to trust that you've hired the right folks, that you've uh, acquired the right talent around you, and you have the people around you for a reason. And I know there's always a tendency to micromanage, 
you don't want mistakes to be made and you sometimes you feel like you know no one can do it better than you you know but I think you get the most yeah. productivity yeah. out of people and people feel like they have value and that you trust them and you believe in them and, and you're going to get you're just going to have a better working environment and working relationship if you allow people to do their jobs then people are going to be at their best and then you can leverage the talents of everyone in your organization because you're going to have great diversity. Everyone's going to have different types of talents and abilities, but you can leverage everyone's talents and abilities when you allow them to do their jobs and you can get better faster. My approach has always been try to get done in one year what it would take someone else three years to do. But in order to move an organization along quickly, you got to let people do their jobs. You can't have people in meetings all day, <laughs> you know, trying to control everything. I <laughs> yeah. mean, they can't yeah. work when they're meeting and things like that. And so um, those are two things that I think that are actionable that the leaders can do, you know, right now today. I love it, man. I love it. But I appreciate you, you know, joining our podcast, Think Like a Champion. You've really dropped some tremendous knowledge for listeners and some actionable items that, you know, I think any of us can do, regardless of our role as a leader or just an individual contributor. And, uh, and so I really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon. Go green. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to the Think Like a Champion podcast. We hope that our conversation with Mel Tucker was actionable and real and relative to your everyday work. And remember, you don't have to be sick to get better. 